Hey everybody, welcome to episode 9 of Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam, I'm your host, I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. Today we are rolling the dice. We're talking about gambling. Let's get started. Hi everyone, I hope you are doing well. I hope your week is off to a good start. My week has been alright so far, thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> I am recovering from my travels across the country. Last week I went to Las Vegas with my family, and it was a time. No, it, it was fine. I'm glad I got to go experience it, because I've never been to Las Vegas before. So I got to see the sights and see all of the like iconic things about it. Um... But I'm not really a Vegas type of person, you know? Like, I was in bed by 11 every night, so... <laughs> I think the whole, like, party scene of Vegas was sort of wasted on me. But, oh well. I'm glad I got to go and see it. Um, my favorite part of the trip, actually, was when we took a day trip to Arizona. We went to the Grand Canyon, which was honestly so incredible. I think at one point I'm going to do an episode about like the earth and like just how mountains and canyons are made and all like the geology science, geological sciences. Uh, but I know nothing about that stuff. So that'll take some time to learn, but super interesting, super cool. Highly recommend if you're ever out there to go look at it. It's very humbling. <laughs> Um, but this week's episode is going to focus on an aspect of my Las Vegas trip that wasn't enjoyable like the Grand Canyon was. We're going to talk about gambling. Uh, it's a good time to mention this episode of Sam Splaining Science is brought to you by DraftKings. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, no. But we're going to talk about gambling specifically in thinking about human behavior in gambling. Um, because when I was there in Vegas, I lost like 60 bucks to a slot machine. And I was like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? Like I felt scammed. It's obviously a con. Obviously they purposely make you lose money so that they can earn it. By earn it, I mean steal it. Um, but yeah, anyway, being being the curious kid I am, I had a few questions during my gambling experience, in addition to feeling very, very angry about my gambling experience. Um, you know, questions like, why is this happening to me? Why am I a loser? Why do bad things happen to good people? But I also had some science questions in there, so I figured I'd ask them here on the podcast, and we can learn about it together. So let's get into this week's question. Just one question this week, because I am lazy. <laughs> um, but as I mentioned, I am curious about the human behavior aspect of gambling. So my question really is, how have scientists studied human behavior in the context of gambling? Because my reaction to losing was like, F this, I'm going to bed, you know, like, I'm just going to leave. Like if I, I kept losing and I was like, I'm not, I'm going to give up. 
I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> but there are lots of people out there who lose money but continue betting anyway. So I was just curious to see how, if at all, scientists have studied how human behavior and how human emotion can affect gambling tendencies. So today we're going to talk about two studies that focused on timing of gambling trials and the effect of mood on gambling trials. Um, and of course, both of those papers will be linked in the description of the episode. As always, you know a girl cites her sources. You already know that about me. Okay, so let's jump in. There have been a lot of studies that have looked at human behavior and gambling, actually. Um, but I chose two that were accessible, the first of which was called Temporal Characteristics of Slot Machine Play in Recreational Gambler Gamblers by Dr. Schreiber and Dixon, um, published in Psychological Reports in 2001. So this is about 21 years old. Um, this paper is old enough to gamble. Huh. So this study considered slot machine gambling. So if you've never gambled at a slot machine before, if you've never seen a slot machine before, basically you bet some money um, and you pull a lever or press a button and then there are wheels on the machine that spin. So there's like maybe three or five columns um, of wheels that spin and eventually they stop and they land on a particular symbol or pattern and sometimes the column symbols land in a pattern that's a winning pattern right so like three sevens in a row or five sevens in a row um and that's sort of like a winning pattern where you get rewarded with money um but usually in my experience the pattern is not a winning pattern <laughs> so it doesn't win you any money it doesn't win you a dang cent um so you lost the money that you bet on that turn, but you can put down more money and spin again. So that's sort of like the idea of a slot machine, right? So this study by Schreiber and Dixon summarized um, or really focused on the temporal timing of gambling on a slot machine. So they used a computer program where they could adjust the probability of a winning spin. So how frequently the trials would result in a win versus a loss. Um, and they could also measure the response latency, which was defined as the time between the end of one trial and the start of the next one. So as soon as the wheel stopped spinning, the time latency timer started, and then the time latency timer ended when the person pressed spin again or pulled the lever or whatever. Um, and they hypothesized that response latency time would be longer after people had a winning spin versus when they had a losing spin. That was their hypothesis, their prediction. So they tested this theory in 12 women who were in their 20s. Um, they had them play a simulated computer-based slot machine game. And they gave each person 100 credits. Each spin cost one credit, but if they landed on a winning spin, 
they gain two credits. Um, they had to play at least 50 times. They had to do 50 spins. But after that, uh, they could stop if they wanted to. So 50 spins were required, um, but they could keep playing until either their money ran out or until they wanted to stop playing. But they were told that the person with the highest number of credits at the end of the time of their play would win $20 cash, which in 2001 went pretty far, right? Maybe? I don't remember. I didn't have concept of money in 2001, I'm being honest with you. Anyway, <laughs> so there were these 12 participants. They split them up into three different groups. So these different groups were defined on the probability of getting a winning spin. One group had a what they called a random ratio reinforcement probability, which is basically like how often they won. That probability was 0.6. So for example, in a set of 25 spins, 15 spins would result in a win, uh, so 60%, and then the remaining 10 would be losses. And these wins and losses, of course, were like randomly scattered throughout the trial. Um, the second group had a reinforcement probability of 40% or 0.4. So in that case, of 25 spins, 10 would be winning spins and the remaining 15 would be losing spins. And the final group had a probability of 0.2. So five winning spins and 20 losing spins in a 25 spin set. So basically they completed two of these 25 spin sets before they were given the option to cash out. And again, from this, what the researchers were interested in was the behavior of the participants in terms of their response latency. How long after one spin did it take them to start the next turn? So within each subject, they compared the latency time after winning spins compared to the latency time after losing spins. And they did this within each individual subject because maybe everybody has their individual approach. Maybe some people are more frequent and they're like, go, 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 spin, 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 spin. And some people are more contemplative and they're more strategic and they think about, you know, how, how they want to gamble and spend their money. But what the scientists really cared about was how does win versus loss affect an individual's relative time between trials? Um, they also considered and looked into the probability groups to see how, if at all, the winning frequency affected the latency times as well, right? Maybe people who were more likely to lose a lot, so like the 0.2 or the 20% winning frequency, um, maybe it would take them longer to press the button because they're like, oh, I keep losing, you know, whatever. Um, so they looked at that too to see if that had any effect on it. So let's check out the results. What they found in the study is that for 10 out of 12 participants, the latency time was significantly longer after a winning trial than a losing trial. You might be wondering if those two stragglers that were not statistically significant were both in a particular probability group, like 
maybe the people who had a win probability of 0.2 took longer to spin again after a win. Um, you know, maybe they noticed that they weren't winning a lot and they were really thinking about, you know, their decisions. Um, but actually that wasn't the case. So one of the two stragglers who had no difference between win and loss latency time was in the 0.6 group and the other was in the 0.2 group. Um, and when looking across probability group, the, re the researchers, <laughs> they didn't see any difference between latency time for wins or losses across probability, which suggests that the amount of times that the participants won wasn't associated with the changes in latency timing. Um, also, the probability didn't change the number of extra trials past the required 50 that the participants played. So what do, what do these results mean? Well, for starters, it turns out that the researchers' hypothesis was correct. Uh, in the discussion of the paper, they bring up something called a negative reinforcement and avoidance paradigm. So in terms of this study, they define losing as a bad thing, right? I mean, honestly, in life, nobody wants to lose. So they say losing is this like aversive experience. Nobody wants to do it. People want to avoid it. It's a negative uh, experience. So when people lose, they get this bad feeling and they want to get rid of this bad feeling faster. So they click spin again faster. That way they can get rid of this negative emotion for a more exciting one. Like, oh, maybe I'll win this time. So I'm going to hurry and get rid of this negative emotion and, you know, try again. And then when they do win eventually, because statistically they will win at some point, um, they spend a little extra time between trials before they hit spin again, not only to soak up the good feeling of the win and appreciate it, um, but also to sort of delay or put off the next spin, which might leave them feeling bad again if they lose. So this like psychological phenomenon, in the words of the authors, is basically the players savor the pleasurable experience of the win as well as postpone the next spin, which could be followed by an aversive occurrence or a loss. The researchers mentioned that the impacts of the study might contribute to potential intervention strategies for people who have gambling problems, um, but more work should be done to sort of confirm or validate these findings, such as having the same subjects repeat the same study but at different probability levels, so kind of switching up the groups, um, or incorporating think aloud protocols, which would allow them to hear and understand the thought process of the participants as they're making the decisions to spin again. Um, and th these can give us a better understanding as to what's exactly going on in the brain and what sort of emotional uh, and behavioral responses are driving this decision-making. And it can give us a better understanding and, and ability to potentially help those who have gambling problems once we have a better understanding of what's going on. So that was the first paper by Schreiber and Dixon. 
So the next human behavior study we're going to talk about is called Induced Sadness Increases Persistence in a Simulated Slot Machine Task Among Recreational Gamblers by Dr. Devos and colleagues. This study was published in 2018 in the Psychology of Addictive Behaviors from the American Psychological Association. Previous studies have suggested that gambling could be a coping strategy for people who have depressive moods. Um, so, you know, like the, the rush of winning a gambling game can help people feel better if they are in a depressive state. However, the previous studies had sort of limited evidence to this and there was no direct uh, like causal relationship. There was no way of making people sad and then making them gamble and seeing how they behave in this gambling setting when they're sad. Um, so that's what the study aimed to do. Here they had 60 participants that were split up into two groups. The first group was a sadness induction group um, where they, you guessed it, induced sadness in these people. Uh, and how they did that was they sat them in a room and made them watch the wildebeest stampede scene from The Lion King before they gambled. It actually wasn't the wildebeest stampede scene from The Lion King, but it was a sad scene from the movie City of Angels. Um, but I've never heard of that movie, uh, and I don't know if any of you have either, but I have a feeling that it would give the same emotional response as watching um, the wildebeest stampede scene from The Lion King. It's supposed to evoke sadness, and that was the first sad movie scene I could think of because it traumatized me as a young child. Anyway, that was one group. Uh, the other group was the control group. So they had no emotional induction whatsoever. Before the second group gambled, they were just shown a neutral clip from a movie. So a clip of a person shopping or a clip of a person like walking in his house. Like there was no sadness or no negative emotion associated with the clips that they were shown. So hence they are the neutral group. So every participant in both groups, both sad and neutral, performed a slot machine task. So similar to the previous study, they had a mandatory number of trials that they had to complete, this mandatory phase, they called it. But once they hit the mandatory limit of spins, of trials, they were allowed to leave or keep playing. And if they kept playing, this was measured as the persistence phase. The participants were given six euros to start because this actually, I didn't mention, but the study is French, I believe. Uh, fun fact. Um, so the participants were given six euros to start, and each time that they spun, they had to pay five cents. And each time that they won, the participant won 50 cents. However, in this study, the participants could also double up their bet. So in this case, if they wanted to double up, they would put down 10 cents, and potentially if they won, they would win one euro. 
unlike the previous study that we just talked about, um, each of the participants in this study had the same probability of outcomes. So during the mandatory phase of 25 spins, in a random order, each participant had four wins, or like a 16% win percentage, um, nine near misses, or 36%, and that was basically like you were one symbol away from winning, but you didn't win. And then 12 losses, or 48% losses, and that was basically just all of the symbols were jumbled, and there, it was clearly a loss. You were not close to winning. Um, so after the mandatory phase, each participant had at least $6.75, no, 6.75 euros. Six euros and 75 cents. Man. Uncultured son of a... Um, but they could have had more depending on when they used their double ups, but just by the numbers and the probabilities... They had a net win essentially, right? They were given six dollars, and the lowest that they could have finished with was six seventy-five. Um, after twenty-five turns, the players could exit the game, as I mentioned. That was the finished, or that was the end of the uh, mandatory phase, and then you go into the uh, persistence phase, um, where you can keep spinning until you opt out. But when you complete the game, when you opt out, uh, you receive however much money you've won in cash. So there was like a financial motivation for them to perform well on this task. So in addition to doing the gambling game, participants also completed a few questionnaires, um, including a measurement of impulsivity and behavior scale, the UPPSP. I'm not a behavioral scientist, so I don't really know what any of this means. Um, but basically to measure their impulsivity, uh, how likely they are to make rash decisions under certain circumstances. Um, and they also completed the gambling-related cognition scale, and that was to determine uh, gambling-related variables in each participant and then compare those across groups. Right, because they wanted to sort of control and make sure that the findings that they concluded in the sad versus neutral group were solely based on the mood, whether they were sad or whether they had a neutral mood, and not based on whether people were more impulsive or people were, uh, you know, had more gambling related behaviors. So that's why they took those measures. Um, so let's get into the results. Across the sad and neutral groups, there were no differences in demographics like age or sex. Um, and there was also no differences in the symptoms of disordered gambling or gambling activities or the impulsivity based on those questionnaires. So basically, from that, they say, okay, any differences that we're seeing in these groups is most likely due to the mood or most likely due to the effect that the video clip had on their mood. Um, so they found that, consistent with what they expected, people in the sadness group were more likely to continue in the persistence phase than the neutral control group. So people who were shown the neutral movie scenes more often opted out 
of the gambling game once they were able to, compared to the people who saw a sad movie scene. So this suggests that when in a sad mood, people are more likely to persist in gambling scenarios than people who are in a neutral mood. Granted that this was a study of people who were recreational gamblers, they gambled once in a while, um, you know, and it should be repeated in a population who, of people who, um, you know, are more frequent gamblers or who may potentially have a gambling problem. Um, but if similar findings are found in those with gambling problems, then maybe targeting poor mood with mindfulness techniques or other ways uh, or other tools, maybe that can be a way to help them limit or stop them from over-gambling or continuing these uh, problem gambling habits, potentially. These gambling problem habits are pretty prevalent in today's world. I found a report out of the World Health Organization that's also linked below from 2017, I believe. Um, and it says that for adults, um, the frequency of gambling-related problems ranges from 0.1 to 6% depending on the severity of the problem, right? Some people have much more severe uh, gambling problems compared to others. Um, but this includes gambling machines, casinos, sports betting, lotteries, online betting. Um, and it impacts a lot of people and it causes potentially a lot of financial stress that leads to emotional and psychological and social distress as well. So it would be really great if we could use science and studies like these to better understand the, the behavior that affects people with gambling problems so that we can develop better interventions to help people who end up really suffering from conditions like these. It's a really serious problem, and hopefully science can help us help people who are hurting from it. Like many things in science, really all of science, to help people. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? <sighs> all right, so that's all for this week. Sorry it's sort of a short episode, but like I said, I'm lazy. Sorry. Um, also, I know this week's topic was kind of out of nowhere, right? Last week was like a very serious episode about COVID. And then this week was like, Vegas, baby. Um, <laughs> but I think that just speaks to one of the main motivators of this podcast, which is to show that science is in every single thing that we do. Even when you lose $60 in Las Vegas, that's science, baby. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm leaving now. Um, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Your subscriptions and your ratings and your reviews mean a lot to me. So if you haven't done so yet and you would like to, I would really appreciate it. Um, you can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at SamSplainingSci. Keep in touch there and ask your questions. You can also submit questions to samsplainingscience.com slash ask. So if there's anything you'd like to learn, please let me know. 
Otherwise, you're going to get a lot more random crap episodes like this. Like, what happens in our brain when we're gambling. <laughs> so, yeah, let me know what you want to hear more about. Uh, let me know any questions you have, like, how does this thing work, or why does this thing happen? Um, and I'll Sam explain it to you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.